Hello, welcome to the TCC Podcast. I am LB, and this is the True Crime Chronicles. If this is your first time finding me, then welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. I am super happy that you're here. Be sure to follow me so you never miss an episode. Like, comment, share, leave a rating, all the categories. It would help me out a lot, and it would be greatly appreciated. Okay, so for today's episode, today I'm going to do kind of an end-of-the-year thing, right? So it's part one of just a look back, a review, if you will, of some of the major cases that happened in 2023. And yes, I know I am a little bit late on this, but in my defense, it's better late than never, right? But December is a pretty crazy month for me as well. So here I am. Now, part one is going to be out on the 31st. Part two should hopefully be out on the first. If not, then it'll be the second. Now, the first case I want to go over is the first case that I have ever covered, not just this year, but in general. And that is the Y&W Melly case. Now, the first trial of his and the subsequent updates, they're all posted on my Twitter page, and that is at TC Chronicles LB. Now, that's every witness, every piece of evidence, pictures, testimony. All of it is covered in insane detail. So if you ever want to check that out, you can check out my Twitter page. Coverage of the retrial in detail will also be up on my Twitter as soon as it starts. I do put updates on my TikTok or my IG, Facebook, stuff like that. But if you want real-time, super detailed, you know, pictures, videos, the evidence, the witnesses, all of that is going to be on my Twitter page. Rapper YNW Melly went to trial this year in June. Now, YNW Melly, whose real name is Jamel Demons, it is not Demons as the prosecution so loves to refer to it as, but it is Demons. He was charged with killing two of his best friends in an absolutely brutal, point-blank, by-surprise shooting in a car on their way back from recording at a studio one night. Now, these are not just kind of random friends he met through the industry. These are like sandbox friends, right? These are friends that have kind of been day ones for him. And they didn't always get along. They didn't always, you know, agree on things. But they were friends. So for him to just randomly, you know, shoot these kids for really no reason never really sat very well with me. And honestly, there's very little actual evidence that ties him to it. Maybe some circumstantial stuff. Okay. But nothing really direct. But, you know, who knows? That's just kind of my opinion on what I think about the evidence. But Anthony DeAndre Williams, a.k.a. YNW Sack Chaser, and Christopher Jermaine Thomas Jr., a.k.a. YNW Juvie, They were murdered October 26, 2018 in Miramar, Florida, which is in Broward County. So this is in South Florida. Now, according to law enforcement, there were four people in the car. Cortland Henry, a.k.a. Y&W Bortland, Melly, Sack, and Juvie. Two died. Two are now co-defendants. 
Now, YNW Borland, he's yet to go to trial for his charges. I believe it was in 2020, he was granted a million dollar bond and he was put on house arrest as a condition of his bond. And Melly's trial was set to go first. And Melly's jury selection began April 11th of 2023. The actual trial begins on June 12th of 2023. Now, prosecutors, they were seeking the death penalty. And they were basing that off of the murders being gang-related. Which, in my opinion, that was an absolute ridiculous disaster in court. Danny Polo, okay? If you know, you know. I mean, it was a joke to me. And I didn't know really who YNW Melly was when I started covering this. I wasn't a big fan of his music. I'm still not, you know, murder on my mind. It's catchy. It's cute. But really, that's kind of it. You know, in my opinion, I know a lot of people love him. I think his music's fantastic. He's talented. You know, I'll give him that. But, you know, I'm more of an easy, you know, biggie. Tupac, 90s kind of girl, honestly. Now, to say that this trial was nothing but an absolute shit show, that would be an understatement. Now, the trial did go on for several weeks, with the first day of jury deliberation beginning on July 20th, 2023. And a mistrial was declared pretty quickly after deliberation started on July 22nd of 2023. Now, this was after the jury was sent back three different times to continue deliberations. And this was um, via Judge Murphy. So he told them, okay, you guys need to go back and try to figure this out. It hasn't been that long of a time yet. You know, go try again. But he did it three times. So now after the third time, I mean, they said they were completely deadlocked. There was absolutely no way that they were going to be able to come to any type of unanimous agreement. And the deadlocked vote was nine to three. And this was in favor of conviction. However, it wasn't on the first degree murder charges. Instead, they were they were nine to three on the two lesser charges of manslaughter. Now, this is kind of controversial, too, because they said that initially it was 11 to one. And there was one female jury holdout who was kind of a stan, I guess, for Melly. And she somehow had talked to other people into changing their vote. I don't know how likely that is to happen. I mean, I feel like if you are pretty set that you want to vote guilty and to the point where you've taken revotes and revotes and it's 11 to 1, I don't know how one person could, in the last minute, you know, sort of throw a Hail Mary and get two people to change their mind like that. I don't know. There was a lot about the behavior of this juror and kind of her mindset. I really obviously don't know. I just know what I read, right? And what other jurors had kind of thought about her according to them. But regardless of whether it was nine to three or 11 to one, it was going to hang the jury either way. And it did. Now, Melly was remanded to custody after being denied a bond. So he asked, like, hey, you know, I've been in jail, you know, four or five years now. I just had a mistrial. Can I just go out on house arrest for a little bit? But judge shut that down real quick and said, no, you cannot. 
But Melly wasn't going to have to wait long because the next trial date was set to begin with jury selection on October 17th, 2023. But obviously that didn't happen, right? Everything was pushed back for a variety of reasons. There were changes in the prosecutor. Melly switched up some of his defense team as well. Lots and lots of motions were filed that needed heard in front of the judge. And there were extensive arguments about what's going to be allowed in to this next trial. And a lot of that centered around Detective Moretti, his testimony and the evidence that he collected, whether that should be allowed in due to illegal search and seizure. Now, Michelle Butros testified extensively in a hearing about Detective Moretti's ethics, I guess maybe would be a good way to say this. He... She saw him personally. They were in a room. He asked another officer to lie for him about how the search warrant was going down and his collection of a phone from Jamie King, which is YNW Melly's mother. And that's been a whole big thing. So there has been a lot around what should be allowed in, what is going to be, what's not going to be. And in fact, Alexander Bucklew just filed a notice that she doesn't like Judge Murphy's ruling on a few things. And so she wants clarification. She wants a rehearing because she didn't like the way he ruled against her and in Melly's favor. Now, the original prosecutor, Christine Bradley, she was also removed by Judge Murphy for possible corrupt behavior as well. There just wasn't as much direct evidence and witnesses the way that there was in Detective Moretti's instance. Now, the new prosecutor, Alexandra Buckaloo, she came in and hit the ground running. She added numerous new charges resulting from alleged witness tampering, which saw Bortland's bond and house arrest privileges completely revoked and Melly no chance in hell of ever getting a bond. So recently, Melly waived his right to a speedy trial with a now tentative trial date being March 5th of 2024. So that's just kind of a general wrap up on Melly and his case. We'll see how it goes on March 5th. I feel like it's still going to be pushed back at least one or two more times, but maybe not. You know, Judge Murphy, he wants to get this shit going. He wants to get it off his calendar. This has been going on for a very long time now. So... We'll see what comes in this next year. The trial of Caitlin Armstrong began October 30th, 2023 in Austin, Texas, and she was found guilty of the brutal murder of professional gravel racing prodigy Anna Mariah Moe Wilson on November 16th of 2023. This played out as a love triangle case, which, I mean, technically it was. Now, Caitlin was a sometimes yoga instructor She was a dedicated practitioner, and she was also in a very rocky long-term relationship with Colin Strickland, who was the male version of Mo Wilson in the gravel racing circuit. Now, in October of 2021, during one of Caitlin and Colin's not uncommon breaks, Colin meets Mariah and they begin a two to four week fling before Colin reconciles with Caitlin. However, his contact with Mo Wilson It didn't stop. He continued to talk to Mo and give her the impression that he was not still involved with Caitlin 
or anyone else for that matter. So in January of 2022, Caitlin, Colin, and Mariah, they all attended a gravel bike race where, of course, they all run into each other. Now, this is when Mo kind of starts putting the pieces together, and so did Caitlin. She called Mo Wilson and let her know that in no uncertain terms, Colin was hers, and she needed to stay away from him. Now, Colin still saw Mo behind Caitlin's back, and he lied to her about it. After Caitlin went into Colin's phone and blocked Mariah's number, he started to hide her number under a different name. Now, obviously, this didn't fool Caitlin, not at all. A suspicious girlfriend does better work than the FBI, and you know we do, ladies. Not, but not only that, Colin made it so easy for Caitlin. They owned a trailer restoration company together, so she had access to his passwords for all of his accounts. Now, that included access to his phone and to his iCloud, meaning she could see his contacts, locations, text messages, photos, emails, etc., all of it. And unfortunately, the night of May 11th, 2022, she was able to see that Colin and Mariah had made plans to meet that night to go swimming and then to jump over to the adjoining pool burger for dinner. Now, Caitlin was also able to see the address where Colin picked Mariah up at that evening on his motorcycle. So using this information, Caitlin then drives over to the apartment that Mariah was staying at in Austin, Texas, while she was training for a race. And she was staying with a very close friend of hers, Caitlin Cash. Now, we'll call her Cash just to kind of help avoid confusion. So Caitlin, at this point, she had really just had it. So she gets the information for the plans that Colin and Mariah had made for the evening of May 11th, 2022. And she finds the address of Cash's apartment and literally circles around the residence, like stalking her prey type of thing, until she sees Colin drop Mariah off. And he takes off to head back home. Now, Mariah uses a numerical code to enter into the apartment and goes into the bathroom, with Caitlin following close behind. Now, I don't know if Caitlin, like, strong-armed directly behind Mariah in order to get into the apartment, or if maybe Mo didn't lock the door immediately after coming in. I don't know the exact circumstances on how Caitlin got into the apartment right after Mariah did, but she did. And she shot Mariah three times, twice in the head, and the third shot was straight through her heart. And that was just to be cruel, or it was maybe symbolic to Caitlin, because Mariah would have already been dead from the headshots. Now, the shots and Mo screaming were caught on a neighbor's surveillance. And I'm going to go ahead and play that for you right now. After murdering Mariah, Caitlin goes on the run to Costa Rica for 43 days, and she does this using her sister's identification and passport in order to get there. Now, once in Costa Rica, she adopts the alias of Beth Martin, 
and has over $6,000 worth of plastic surgery done in the form of a brow lift and a nose job. But I definitely think she had something done to her chin as well. And some say to even more resemble her sister, which I could definitely see. Now, after Caitlin is caught and brought back to the United States, she is held and is awaiting trial at the Travis County Correctional Facility in Austin, Texas. And while she's there, Caitlin spends months vigorously exercising in the jail's recreation yard, where shortly before her trial is set to start, Caitlin Armstrong fakes a leg injury in order to get an off-site doctor appointment and not have her legs shackled, preventing full range of motion of her legs. Now, Caitlin's doctor appointment was on October 11th of 2023. And as the appointment was ending and Caitlin was set to return to the Travis County Correctional Facility, she bolts from her two handlers. Now, Caitlin, again, she wasn't shackled, but she was handcuffed and she had somehow managed to also get her left hand out of her arm restraints so no shackles one of her arms is free she takes the fuck off and runs i've seen between two blocks and a mile i mean i guess it's probably closer to the two blocks so she takes off and she tries to climb a fence but not before she manages to ditch her striped uniform pants. Yeah, I guess she had thermal pants underneath. She didn't want to stand out very much. But she was very quickly reapprehended and taken back into custody where she faced trial on October 30th of the same year. Now, Caitlin Armstrong was found guilty on November 16th, 2023, and she was sentenced to 90 years and a $10,000 fine on November 17th of 2023. Now, if you want all the details on both the case and the trial, the links to those episodes will be in the description. Danilo Cavalcante, a.k.a. Houdini as fuck, was a Brazilian national serving time for an August 2023 conviction for the brutal murder of his girlfriend, Deborah Branda. I don't know how to say it. Ah, okay, so... It's B-R-A-N-D-A-O with like a little line thing over it. I have no idea how to say it properly. But this was in 2021. He was charged and then convicted on August 22nd of 2023. And he was convicted of stabbing her to death outside of her house and in front of her two children. I believe they were seven and four. Just horrific. And this was done in front of neighbors, like in front of a lot of people. They had a lot of evidence against him. It only took a jury 15 minutes to find him guilty. Now, Cavalcante was being held in a Chester County, Pennsylvania prison where one day he crab walked, climbing sideways up the prison walls to the prison roof and then down the side of the building and he fucking ran. Now, Danella was gone from August 31st through September 13th, and they found him about 20 miles north of the prison. Now, he was not the first person to have actually broken out of the prison in this exact way. There was another one not too long before he pulled this little crab walk incident. But that guy was pretty quickly apprehended, and he wasn't gone nearly as long as Cavalcante was. Now, during his two-week escape, Cavalcante broke into numerous houses, but he didn't harm anyone. 
which I guess is good because he has a very, very violent tendency, violent past. Now, he was able to completely evade police, even when, according to Cavalcante, after he was reapprehended, he said they almost stepped on him more than once. They were that close and they didn't see him. Now, Cavalcante was seen on surveillance cameras and at former co-workers' houses on their ring camera. Now, he, I believe there, one of the co-workers had the ring camera. The second co-worker that he visited, I think the neighbor maybe told the police or told the former co-worker and then they told the police. So he was on one ring camera. And when they saw him on the ring camera, he had an entirely different look. He had shaved and he changed his clothes and he looked very different. He actually looked about 10 years younger than he did in the pictures that were being shown on TV. Now, Cavalcante, when they did find him, he was found in a wooden area and he was asleep at the time. They had used heat seeking equipment and the helicopters above or the aircraft above had found him that way, caught him completely off guard. Now, when he was found, he had a backpack, a sleeping bag, an Eddie Bauer shirt, a silver paring knife, a blue Gillette razor, and a stolen 22 caliber rifle. Now, after his escape, Cavalcante faced an additional 20 charges. I don't think he cared. He was in for life without parole anyway, so these charges, they didn't mean shit to him. He literally had nothing to lose. But it turns out that Danella was also wanted in his home country of Brazil for murder. He left Brazil and he went to Puerto Rico. Now, in Puerto Rico, he was able to obtain a fake ID and he entered the United States illegally and he settled in Chester County, Pennsylvania, where his sister and other friends, they were already living. Now, this is where he killed his girlfriend, Deborah. Now, Danilo Cavalcante, he's currently being held at the state correctional institution, Phoenix, in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And that is where he's going to serve his sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. And I imagine they keep a pretty close eye on him because not only was he able to escape, but he was able to evade police for a pretty substantial amount of time. So, but they did find him. They got him locked back up and he is now serving his time. Sergio Brown is a former NFL player who was signed as an undrafted free agent in 2010. Throughout the course of his professional career, Sergio also played for the Indianapolis Colts, the Atlanta Falcons, Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Buffalo Bills. Sergio was a safety, with his final season being in 2016. On September 16, 2023, in Maywood, Illinois, a missing persons report was filed for Sergio Brown after his mother, 73-year-old Myrtle Brown, was found dead by a creek behind their house. An autopsy would show that Myrtle had died from blunt force trauma with multiple injuries due to assault. Sergio ended up fleeing to Mexico where he released a couple very disturbing and concerning IG videos. In the videos, he was going on about his mother being on vacation and that her death was fake news. Now, Sergio booked a trip to Mexico on September 15th, 2023. Now, while in Mexico, 
he had plans to flee that country to go to Medellin, Colombia. But he was detained by authorities before on October 7th in Mexico City. So he never made it to Colombia. He was then deported to San Diego, where he would then be extradited to Maywood, Illinois, to face first-degree murder charges in the death of his mother. When Sergio was detained, he had Myrtle's iPad, credit card, and debit cards, and her cell phone. Now, these are all items that had been reported missing from her home. Video surveillance had showed Sergio on camera burning items in the burn pit behind him and his mother's home. A DNA analysis from underneath Myrtle Brown's fingernails and a toothbrush found in Sergio Brown's bedroom. They matched DNA samples from two men. Now, the analysis determined that the DNA from the toothbrush was a possible donor of the major male DNA profile from the sample that was found under Myrtle's fingernails. On the flight to San Diego from Mexico City, Sergio had an episode of paranoia on the plane, and he ended up fighting with Mexican officials and began screaming that he was being kidnapped. Luckily, the plane was still on the tarmac, but it took over 90 minutes to get Sergio off the plane. He is currently being held without bail due to being a danger to the community and a flight risk. He has pled not guilty in the murder of his mother. Danny Masterson went to trial and was found guilty of multiple assault or essay charges. Danny is a lifelong Scientologist whose higher-up members helped to cover up Danny's behavior. Now, Masterson first went to trial behind these charges in 2022, where a mistrial was declared November 30th of 2022, with the majority of the jury leaning towards acquittal. A new trial was scheduled for the spring of 2023, and it took place through April and May of 2023. And on May 31st, Danny was convicted on two of the three charges of forcible assault or, you know, forcible essay, with the third count being hung with a vote of eight to four in favor of conviction. He was sentenced to 30 years to life in September of 2023. Masterson was not given a bail to in order to be out while he appealed his verdict, and he was remanded to custody. Now, as of June 2nd, he was being held at the Men's Central Jail in Los Angeles in the Admin Segregation Unit for his safety. He has since been sent to North Kern State Prison in Delano, California, and this was as of late December of 2023. Now, this is a short state prison where they will do an assessment to determine what prison best fits your needs for your entire sentence stay. Now, Tory Lanes is also currently at North Kern. Just a little fun fact. Now, Danny Masterson is in a group called Privilege Group U, which prohibits family visits and access to personal property with also limited entertainment access. He is allowed one phone call per week during his first month at the prison, and then after that, he is restricted to only one call per month for as long as he is in the privilege group U. Now, Danny can still have access to the prison yard and recreational services, but he's not going to be eligible to receive full prison privileges until the classification process has ended and he has moved to his permanent housing facility. And that could take up to 90 days. 
Now, Danny's legal team did file an appeal in November on his conviction. In September of 2023, a trial date was set for September of 2025 for the civil lawsuits brought against Danny Masterson and the Church of Scientology by his victims. So they were given the green light. They could file their civil lawsuits and they have set a tentative trial date for September 22nd of 2025. Now, in late September of 2023, this was right before the decision was made for the civil lawsuits to be able to go forward. Danny's wife, Bijou Phillips, filed for a divorce from Danny. Now, he was not surprised and honestly, neither was anybody else. And he gave her everything, including full custody of their daughter, who was born February 14th of 2024. Obviously, that makes sense. He is serving a possible life sentence in prison. What is he going to do with custody? I get it. Now, most people, they agreed, obviously, that the divorce was done in order to help protect their assets, right? So in the case of civil litigation, which is coming. Now, yeah, I do think that that is probably most of it. I also think that she also maybe had to take a really serious look about what the rest of her life looked like. And the odds of him coming out, they're very slim. I I just don't see it happening. So yes, I'm sure she absolutely loved him, but she also has a life that she needs to lead. And she has a daughter who needs a life as well. So I do think that Even though, yes, she was going to stand by him. She loved him. This was her husband. You know, very stand by your man kind of thing. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess so. But she, I'm sure family, friends, her legal team, they really sat down with her and were like, listen, we need to talk about what this looks like for the next 30 years, for you, for your child, for your financial future. I'm sure all of that came out, not to mention she needed to be a little realistic about what her husband was just convicted of, of forcibly assaulting other women. And I'm sure there was a denial factor there for a while, but that wasn't going to be there forever. At some point, she was going to have to face that, yeah, there's a really good likelihood that he was found guilty because he's guilty. So while I do think, yeah, the divorce was at this point a lot of protection of assets and her and the daughter's future, I'm positive that that wasn't all of it. Now, a side note on this case, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, they came under some pretty serious fire for writing letters of recommendation and support to the judge on behalf of Danny Masterson. Those letters were made public and people were not happy. Ashton had to even step down from the company Thorn that, I mean, he founded with his ex-wife Demi Moore, but he is really a big face of Thorn. He was very active in it and in a lot of the day-to-day decisions, whereas you don't really see Demi that much into it. Maybe behind the scenes she is 100%, but anytime I've ever seen anything with Thorn, It's been Ashton, and I really think that that was his baby. That was his company. And Thorne, if you're not familiar, it is a company 
that was founded to help victims of trafficking and SA. Now, Mila did hold a, I guess, pretty important position on their board, but she lost that position too. I mean, people were pissed. And I feel like they really had a right to be. You know, he is a champion in in a way for, you know, Thorn and victims and trafficking. And yet at the same time, just because it's your friend, someone who was found guilty of forcing themselves on women and drugging them, right? Let's not forget that part. They were vulnerable. They were helpless. They couldn't defend themselves. And you write to the judge, I mean, that this man is a role model for you. What the fuck? I mean, that is awful. Now, they did come out and they did the obligatory public apology, right? Now, Ashton looked and he sounded, I guess, in his defense, completely devastated. And and it looked like it had really weighed on him and had taken some type of toll where Mila just looked and sounded pissed off. Like, I can't believe you guys are questioning me type of thing. And that's really how it kind of played out in her part. They sort of spoke, you know, back and forth. But she really sounded, yeah, you know, it to me, it wasn't a very good look. But Ashton looked appropriately and genuinely devastated. And I believe that he was. And again, I mean, they wrote the letters, right? Now, and I didn't like this in their apology, but Ashton said, you know, the letters were not meant to be public. They were only meant for the judge to read. Does that make it better? I, it's almost worse, maybe. I don't know, but that was what they went with. And, you know, they've kind of laid low since then. As it does with everything else, I'm sure that this will go away. People maybe won't, necessarily forget about it but they will move on to something else and they will be out to completely crucify another celebrity and it was kind of odd because there were a lot of other celebrities and known Scientologists that wrote letters of support on Danny's behalf and they didn't receive the same amount of hate and backlash that the Kutchers did and some of them didn't receive any backlash at all So I did kind of find that to be a little bit interesting. Um, But yeah, they filed an appeal. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but I could be surprised if he's got a banger law team. Maybe they can find a loophole somewhere. But for now, I think he's probably right where he needs to be. So what to say about Carly Russell? Honestly, I have so much to say about her, but we'll just start with July 13th, 2023. Carlithia, Carly, Nicole Russell, she makes a 911 call at 9.34 p.m. while on the side of Interstate 459 in Hoover, Alabama. In this 911 call, Carly says that she sees a young child unattended in a diaper and a t-shirt and they are walking alone on the side of the interstate. She gives an estimate for the age to be, I guess, between three and four. Now, she hangs up with 911 and she calls a family member where she tells them the same story. Except at the end of this call, Carly screams and the phone is dropped. 
The police arrive within minutes, but there's no Carly. There was, however, a red Mercedes with the driver door wide open. The keys were on the ground, along with her wig, purse, and Apple Watch, also on the ground, but nearby. But there's no Carly. So 49 hours go by, and Carly's story just blows the fuck up. Celebrities get involved. They start posting about her, sharing her story, making TikToks, just really trying to push that this young lady is missing. And these are celebrities like Viola Davis, Tina Knowles Lawson, and activist Tamika Mallory. And that's just to name a very, very few. Now, oftentimes in these cases, young African-American women do not get this type of coverage or immediate police response. Hoover PD, however, was the textbook of how a missing person case should have been handled. Now, July 15th, 49 hours later, Carly miraculously shows back up at her parents' house around 10 to 11 o'clock at night. She has a torn white shirt on and $107 in her sock. She was taken to the hospital immediately to be checked out, where police tried to interview her. Now, in that interview, Carly tells police she was abducted by a redheaded Prince Harry lookalike male, and she was placed inside a tractor trailer where a woman and the assumed baby were in the front. She said that she escaped from the tractor trailer, but she was quickly recaptured. She was then taken to another home, kind of isolated out in the woods, where she said that she was fed cheese crackers, undressed and photographed while blindfolded, and she had had her hair brushed, I guess. She was also bound at the wrist, but had no ligature marks. According to her, her captors didn't want to leave marks on her, which does not make any sense whatsoever, but we'll get there. Now, she said that she escaped a second time, and it was this escape that she was able to make it back to her parents' house. So the police investigation, obviously, it's going to kick into full gear. And they find that they're unable to verify pretty much any of Carly's stories outside of the fact that she was on the side of Interstate 459 at 9.34 p.m. That's it. Now, law enforcement, they also find some pretty fucked up searches on her electronic history. Now, a few days prior to her disappearing, searches such as, do you have to pay for an Amber Alert? How to take money from a register without getting caught. Birmingham bus station. A one-way bus ticket to Birmingham to Nashville. Nashville, by the way, by sheer coincidence, and I don't really mean sheer coincidence, was where Beyonce was having a concert that weekend. And it is said that that is where she was trying to get to. There were also multiple searches for the movie Taken. Now, law enforcement, they also find a receipt for Target. And now this receipt showed a purchase about 20 minutes or so prior to the 911 calls. Now, do you want to guess what it's for? Granola bars and Cheez-Its. Exactly. Neither of which were still in her car. Carly had also stolen a robe and money from the spa that she worked at the night that she orchestrated her Houdini appearance. Now, on July 24th, 2023, Carly did admit that she lied and she issued an apology, 
but only through her attorney, Emery Anthony. Now, after this, Carly throws herself a massive two-day birthday blowout at her parents' house. Now, again, this was shortly after her admission, and I guess her apology, if you can call it that, which I don't. So, clearly at this point, I mean, people were pissed, and she obviously was not reading the room under any circumstances. So, why would she do all this, right? For attention, you know, clicks, likes, clout? Does she want to become an influencer? Like, what is the point behind this? Well, come to find out. She had a cheating boyfriend, and they had either just broken up or they were about to. He had cheated on her with, I guess, a stripper, and she got upset. But she wanted him back. So she orchestrated this kidnapping to try and get him back. I just don't think that Carly planned on her disappearance, getting the amount of exposure and attention that it did. And it had just gotten completely out of hand. Now, Carly ended up being charged with two Class A misdemeanors for faking the abduction. She pled not guilty to two charges of false reporting. But she was found guilty by Municipal Judge Brad Bishop on October 11th of 2023. As her sentence, Judge Bishop recommended one year in jail and a $17,874 fine in restitution. Now, he also added two fines in the amount of $831 each, which Carly and her legal team are appealing. Now, the biggest part for me that absolutely just pissed me the fuck off it's kind of a, of a twofold thing, other than just her overall acting like a spoiled asshole piece of shit brat. But, you know, the first one, she involved Angela Harris, right? Now, who is Angela Harris? She is the mother of 19-year-old Anaya Blanchard. Now, this was a young lady who went missing in Alabama about an hour from Hoover on October 19th of 2019. Anaya was kidnapped she was brutally murdered, and she was found about a month after she went missing. And her mother really jumped in to help this family. And they called and asked her, right, to come and help them, which she 100% gladly did. Even though she battles autoimmune, you know, disease, she's sick a lot of times. Not to mention, can you imagine how triggering this had to be for her, Right? What a woman, this incredible. And she was never even given an apology. She got the same bullshit generalized apology that everybody else got through the attorney. And that is absolutely disgusting to me. Number two, African-American women and indigenous women, they typically get very little coverage when they go missing. And in this case, the Hoover Police Department, they did everything right. And she got the coverage that everyone should get, that everybody deserves if they go missing. Only for it to turn out to be a big fucking lie. And potentially, you know, affecting how the next woman's case will be covered and believed and perceived by the public. And that, to me, is one of just the biggest travesties in this case. Because who knows, the next person who is missing who needs that attention, needs that coverage, needs the help and support from their community might not get it because of her dumb bullshit 
They might say, you know what? Mm, let's just wait a little bit. Remember what happened in Alabama, right? And that little bit that they wait could be the difference between finding someone and maybe a family never getting closure or finding someone alive or finding them deceased. And I think that that is horrific. Now, that being said, I mean, she was prosecuted with whatever charges they had on their books to prosecute her for. They didn't really have a precedence for this type of thing. So they did their best, right? And ultimately, they wanted her held accountable, and they did. You know, publicly, it was put out there what happened. So is that justice? I mean, I guess it is, right? But mm, this is yeah, I just, I feel a lot of ways about this case. And, you know, the way the family, even after they knew she was lying, went on TV and they backed the story. I understand supporting your child, 100%, I do. But to go on there and continue to back this bullshit kidnapping story when you know it's fake. Ugh. I don't know. I don't, I, they all need therapy. I guess that's my thought process on it. So that is part one. I'm working on part two right now and I should have it out, hopefully recorded and out tomorrow. If not, it'll be on the second. Thank you for joining me today. Be sure to follow me so you don't miss an episode, especially part two that's coming up. I hope everybody had a great holiday. Happy new year. And I will talk to you soon.